Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shane Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Burke. Guys, I am back for you. It's summertime, and that means the snakes are moving around. That's right. Uh, this is the time of year where if you go out in the evening, you'll see them on the road. Uh, there, uh, There's a lot of snaky activity right now. And uh, I recently came upon a copperhead walking my dog, and it scared me, and it scared the copperhead, and my dog was super into it, but that was not helpful. And so anyway, uh, these things happen. Guys, I did an episode a couple years ago with uh, someone that I just think the world of. He was he was that guy when I was in vet school. He was the mentor. I think every vet school has got this clinician that is just the clinician that everyone kind of looks up to. And at the University of Florida for a couple of decades, Dr. Mikey Share was that guy. And so Uncle Mikey, as he's known to us Florida grads, came on to the podcast and talked about dealing with venomous snake bites uh, and canine patients. And guys, it's a great episode, super timely. Let's get into it. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome, Dr. Michael Shear. Thank you for being here, sir. Really appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome, Andy. It's a pleasure to be here. I have I have a case for you uh, from uh, from my. This is some of our cases that we like to make are theoretical. This is not. This is one that I had recently, and uh, and I I, I want to go with, through it with you if you don't mind. I sure. have, and I know this is something that you do a lot of in Florida. Um, I had a um a two year old weekend spaniel. Which, which I never saw in Florida. I never saw it in Gainesville. Uh, it's the state dog of South Carolina, and now I see them all the time. Really? Uh, yeah. But yeah, very similar to the Cocker Spaniel for people who are listening who, who don't see a lot of those, but the Boykin Spaniel I see a lot of. And this is a young Boykin Spaniel stuck his nose underneath the deck mm-hmm. at the house. You know, barking, head down, tail wagging. Uh, <laughs> mom, mom brings me the dog and says he got bitten by a snake. And of course, you know, I, I often kind of, you know, I, w- I wait until presentation to decide how excited I'm going to get uh, get about this. Mom said on the phone, she says a copperhead bit him in the face. It was a tiny, it was a small copperhead, and um, and the dog shows up, and sure enough, this is it's probably been about 30, 30, 45 minutes by the time I see the dog from the time of the bite, and the left side of his lip, I can see those two small little draining tracks. I see the punctures, and his lip is swollen. Uh, not not whole face, but you know what I mean? It's probably a, the size of a large grape is the swelling, and I'm getting some ooze out of there. Um, and so I'm looking at this dog in this copperhead bite, and a million things are going through my mind, and um, I'm hearing, you know, don't give him NSAIDs, and then other voices are like, we got to do something pain control, and what what are my... Uh, what is my my risk of tissue necrosis here? And then um, it's on the lip, and so I'm I'm worried about about tissue death there because it's a fairly s- a small area. And so I, I just I just want to I just want to put this to you and say you know Doctor Share, wh- where do I go from here? Like, like I'm looking at this dog just happened. I'm thoroughly convinced it was a copperhead based on I didn't see the snake that didn't bring it in. Dad killed it, but it didn't come along. What makes this? How do you, how do you treat that? Where should I go from here? Okay. Uh, the fact that uh, this is occurring in South Carolina, uh, Copperhead is certainly um, one to consider, but the water moccasin can sometimes extend that far up as well. 
and even the Easter Diamondback in some areas as well. But as far as the frequency of encounter, I would say Copperhead um, is probably the majority up there. The one thing that I try to teach all the time about snake bites, Andy, is that no two cases are the same. Okay. Because the, the victim is different and the snake might be different than another copperhead a mile away. Their venom composition might vary. Okay. And depend on the pressures of the ecosystem as these animals evolve in nature. But the copperhead in general, it is a pit viper and it contains a venom that is necrogenic. Mm -hmm. It might not necessarily be toxic. It's not neurotoxic. So with the copperhead, we worry more about um, local damage. Now, whether this is going to turn into uh, something that's just simple edema or some focal hemorrhage with edema, it might stop there. If necrogenesis is going to occur, what I found here in Gainesville with the other types of pit vipers that I deal with, the signs of necrosis usually don't occur till the end of day, until around day three. So as long as that lip is spongy and it looks well vascularized, there's no any change to brownish or blackage or black, there is a chance that the swelling is going to go away. Mm -hmm. And as far as the timing of the disappearance of that, it usually starts by day three as well, where it starts resorbing. It might drop a little bit more dependently, and then it will disappear. Now, the thing about tissue necrosis, especially with a snake like the copperhead, the tissue necrosis occurs very soon after the bite. So during that 40-minute car ride, the collagenases and the hyaluronidases contained in that venom allowed that venom to spread mm -hmm. and get a fairly good seeding as to whether or not as far as in, into the surrounding soft tissues. So what you don't know when you're looking at that dog is... Will this go on to necrose? The answer is you don't know. Okay. I don't know. And you say that to the owner. So the next thing is, well, what about treatment? So when, when you look at the spectrum of severity for the copperhead, at least in people in that part of the country, they're usually more local wounds. They get their swelling and they're, hot, they're out of the ER in maybe three hours. Mm -hmm. But there are some people who can actually go on to become coagulopathic. And they're the ones who are in harm's way, and that's when they start having to take in a whole bunch of antivenom. Now, it is going to be up to you to decide whether or not you want to give antivenom. And a lot of that is going to be dependent on um, the, the cost, whether or not the owner can afford it. Okay. My philosophy is that if there's the possibility that this envenomation can go beyond a minimal localized envenomation, I'd rather be proactive and head it off. Okay. Now, see, and, I, and I would suggest one vial of antivenom. All right. Now, something like venom vet will be fine. Okay. Or even the uh, Boringer Engelheim, the, the one we used to call um, Fort Dodge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
that'll work as well. Okay. And um, the chances of one vial causing um, anaphylaxis, I would say, would be less than 10%. Okay. But the chances of that envenomation getting worse is probably more than 10%. Okay. Hey guys, I just want to step in real quick and let you know that on August 19th, my good friend Jen Galvin, who is a practice manager in Arizona and uh, just an amazing, super fun, super funny person, is hosting a uh, virtual workshop at the Uncharted Veterinary Conference. She is doing her workshop called How to Have Fun and Engaging Meetings. Let me tell you, Jen Galvin, I have seen Jen Galvin have Nerf gun fights at her practice. She has game shows for staff meetings. She does education in the most fun ways possible. She is so fun. And this is a workshop, which means you're going to actually get ideas and you're going to get to work on your own practice and come away with some tangible things that you can take back and do with your team to have fun and engaging meetings. Guys, this is a great workshop. It is on August the 19th. So that's coming up next week uh, from noon to 2 p.m. Eastern time. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific time. So anyway, uh, noon to 2 Eastern time workshop. Uh, I'll put links in the show notes for you to register. Check it out. It's also a great way to see what the Uncharted virtual events are like. Uncharted Vet Conference is uh, is the conference that I started. I love it. Um, I, I think that there's, uh, I don't know that there's a better, more fun, engaging way to learn than things like this. So anyway, guys, I hope you'll chat it out. I hope you'll take something back for your practice. Um, that's it. Let's get back into this episode. Can you unpack a little bit about anti-venom for me as far as um, is it species dependent, snake species dependent? Because I had sort of thought that, you know, obviously uh, I'm in the South. Um, the Eastern Diamondback rattlesnake is what we really worry about, the neurotoxin, uh, you know, uh, as opposed to your more locally destructive bites of, of your of your water moccasin, your copperhead, things like that. Does the species of snake play into uh, your choice to use anti-venom or not? And then also uh, you say you say go with a a, a, a single vial. Is that is that size dependent on the patient um, at all? So, so if you could unpack so sort of the a high level of of, of anti venom thought right now, I, I think that would be so helpful. Okay, there are there are a few types of anti venoms available to us in the United States. We have Venom Vet mm-hmm. that's made in Argentina. That's made from the South American and I think the Central American pit vipers. Venom Vet 2 is coming out, and when it gets cleared, it'll be made from the venom of local snakes in in North America. But the venom vet that we use now comes from uh, pit vipers from south of the border. The reason that it works for our snakes is because the, the pit viper venoms in this part of the world, in the Western Hemisphere, share antigens. So using an anti-venom that's against uh, bothrops or one of the other pit vipers, that might very well still be effective against the Eastern Diamondback and the water moccasin mm-hmm. and the copperhead. So that's good. Now, the venom vet is, and it's called an FAB2, where the most primitive anti-venom that they used to use in people from from white has an FAB, an FAB, and an FC component. Okay. Remember, this stuff is made in horses. So you got the specific 
uh, ground-to-air missile, the FAB, but they're linked together with this FC, which is extra protein from the horse serum. Okay. And that's what contributes to its anaphylactogenicity. Gotcha. Okay. Now, BI, or the Ford Dodge product, has the FC component. Rattler, the new antivenom that comes in those plasma bags, okay. that's a large molecule as well. They have a tendency to, to load more extra antigen and to make the animal perhaps more hypersensitive to it. Crofab we don't use because of the expense. So you can so what veterinarians are gonna use is Rattler, the Ford Dodge product, and the Venom Vet. Mm -hmm. As far as I'm concerned, they all work. Okay. The Rattler might have some extra antigen to it, and some people might not want to get involved with that, but it's still effective against venom. As far as duration of the anti-venom in the blood, this is where you want your ground-to-air missile to get into the bloodstream, nuke out the venom protein, and hang around for a while. The problem with Crofab, it's out of there in six hours. The Venom Vet hangs around for around 24 to 36 hours. The Ford Dodge product can hang around for as long as 48 hours. So that comes to an advantage to you because when the dog gets bitten by the snake, some of the venom will go into the system fairly acutely, while the other amount of venom is deposited at the bite site, and then it slowly infuses over the next several hours. Well, if you use a fast-acting antivenom like Crofab, those ground-to-air missiles will already be out of the sky. But if you use the longer-acting antivenoms, they're still there to intercept. Right. So that's where VenomVet and the Fort Dodge products will work to your advantage. Now, as far as the dosage of antivenom is concerned, it's impossible to specify for the reason being that we don't know how much venom is inoculated. So I go by clinical science. The other question that goes along with the choice of the antivenom is um, what snakes contribute to the manufacture of that particular product. The Fort Dodge product is going to use several North American snakes. Okay. The Venom Vet 1, which is what's available now, uses the South American snakes, but it's still effective against the North American snakes. So I take advantage of the cross-antigenicity. Mm -hmm. The Rattler is made from North American snakes. Now, the question you asked me, when there are several snakes in one geographic locale, how do you know which snake bit the dog? We can squeeze out of that predicament by using the polyvalent uh, antivenom. Now, in Australia, they might use monovalent. In other words, an antivenom against the brown snake or the tiger snake or the taipan snake. But they're getting smarter now in Australia because some of their antigen detection kits might be inaccurate, and they're switching over to polyvalent and just covering the victim with all of them okay. in that area. So here in the U.S., we have traditionally always used the polyvalent vaccine. So like I said before, they all work. They differ in their molecular size, and the choice is going to be up to you as to which product you want to use. Gotcha. Yeah, let, let's go on from there. So uh, an antivenom, your recommendation is, uh, is is much stronger than than I guess what what I sort of gave to the veteran. So I I, I really love that uh, that we laid this out. So um, at least a single vial of antivenom, I think that makes sense. What um, 
Okay. What other sort of supportive care are we talking about? You know, if, right. if it's three days until I'm going to see signs of necrosis, do I need to have this dog on fluids for 72 hours? I mean, help me with that part. Okay. As far as the dosage of the antivenom, that's going to depend on a scale that we call the snake bite severity score, and that goes from one to 20. And it encompasses various pathophysiological things that we see clinically, like whether there's coagulopathy, neurotoxicity, cardiac arrhythmias, hemolysis. If we see all of those in that one victim, I'm going to start off with several vials. Mm-hmm. Maybe if, and I'm going to make it simple. If the animal comes in walking, wagging its tail, I might give one vial. Mm-hmm. If it comes in walking very slowly and it doesn't look right and it looks like it's going to get sick, I might start off with two or three vials. Now, behind those guesstimates is the snake bite severity score going on in my head. If an animal comes in recumbent and trying to die on me, he's hypotensive, he's bleeding, he's hemolyzing, that dog will probably start off with four to six vials. And then... If they're really severe, we'll run an ACT, where normally the ACT is less than 120. If the ACT doesn't normalize, I might repeat a couple more vials of antivenom at hour six. Okay. You see what I mean? Yep. Okay. And it just goes on to assess and reassess, assess and reassess until the patient is stabilized. Now, with the copperhead, okay, I know a lot of times the animals get better without the antivenom. You might just give them some fluids and they might get off real cheap and go home and everything's going to be okay. A lot of practitioners will also use antihistamines and steroids. There's no evidence-based medicine to show the efficacy of steroids and antihistamines. The only time I use them is when there's a hypersensitivity reaction to the antivenom. But if the blood pressure is kind of borderline when it comes in, I'll give them crystalloid. We don't use antivenom on every case here in Florida either. If I have a pygmy rattler and the animal comes in walking, wagging its tail, but it hurts because it got bitten on the paw, we'll watch it for 24 hours. That That's important. We keep them in the hospital. If the people have absolutely no ability to pay the bill or anything like that, that's the only time they, they will walk out on the same day. But they're told to come back, of course, if if there is de- further decompensation. But I know that uh, close to eight out of ten practitioners want to use the antihistamine and the steroid. And I'll, I'll give you some clarification on that. It depends on where you are in the world and whose country antivenom you're using. If you're in Pakistan or if you're in India and you're dealing with the Snake bites out there, a lot of times they're vipers or cobras. Their antivenoms might not be as pure as those products that we use here. Mm-hmm. And the incidence of allergic reactions are very high. In those situations, they'll give the patient antihistamines and steroids initially and then give the antivenom. But in the Western Hemisphere, it's not recommended in human medicine. And I've uh, convinced everybody here at the school on now hundreds of cases that you don't have to use steroids and antihistamines, then my cases will get better just as fast as yours if (laughs) those two drugs are are being used. So um, I I leave it, of course, to the individual colleague. Mm -hmm. Um, If they're using something that works for them, you know, I don't want to upset their apple cart, but if they were to ask me for 
is there anything to document the efficaciousness of this? I would answer it in the way I just told you. Mm -hmm. Okay? Perfect. Okay, now as far as waiting for necrosis, um, there are times when dogs will be discharged from here at the end of the second day, and it hasn't actually been long enough for necrosis to make itself known. So we tell the people, look for any signs of discoloration and change in texture of the skin. If the skin changes from pliable to feeling like leather, there is a likelihood that that's going to necrose. Mm -hmm. So they could tell, or they could send you a picture on their cell phone and or a video, and you could make a decision whether or not they should bring it back for debridement. That makes sense. What is your pain control plan with these patients? All right, pain control initially on a severe case is minimal. Okay. Could because... I don't want to knock them out with drugs when their level of consciousness is, is helping me decide on whether they're trying to die or not. Right. And um, we will use um, methadone and extend that for maybe the first two days on those who, that aren't as severe. Or we might, if the severe case comes in, we'll hold off on the pain control until we get the patient stabilized, and then we can monitor them better. But if you have a copperhead doggy that comes in after barking at something under the porch, and the, and the paw is swollen, and then it's obviously not weight-bearing, and it hurts like crazy, then um, uh, gabapentin works, methadone works as an injectable, or you might start off with methadone and send them home on a few days of gabapentin, something like that. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. I, I really appreciate it. This has been so enlightening. Uh, do you have any parting pearls, any last words of wisdom for me as I head off to take care of uh, of my steak-bitten dog? Anything I should look out for? Okay. Uh, anything like that? Uh, I know this is go, go, going to sound silly, but I say to the residents, look at the patient and only the patient will help you God. In other words, don't, don't walk in there, oh, I know all about this. I'm going to do this, 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 and this. It's like driving your car on the road. You're going to drive according to the speed limit and the safety conditions. And I'm going to assess that patient according to what that patient is telling me. And um, don't be presumptuous. Interpret everything that you see with as open mind as you can. And um, I think that will get you out of trouble. And, and always remember Uncle Mikey's maxims because they're always out there to save you. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Awesome. Thanks a lot for being here. I really appreciate your time. It's a pleasure indeed. You take care. And that's it. That's the episode. That's what I got for you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Special thanks to uh, Uncle Mikey for coming and sharing his wisdom. Guys, uh, take care of yourselves. Enjoy the rest of your summer. Be well.